AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, your grin's the sweetest that I've ever seen. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And our host, Jonathan Strickland, is not with us today. He is out on vacation in the fabulous Ireland. The fabulous Ireland? Yes, the the Ireland. Not an Ireland. Not just any old Ireland. <laughs> that one specific one. Yes. We hope he's having a wonderful time there. We're pretty sure he is, according not, to social media. It not seems. being chased by bees. No. <laughs> Which has so much to do with our topic today. We are talking about the future of bees. Barring any any terrible future bee tragedies, which I, I seriously am I'm hoping will not occur, bees are awesome, and we hope that they will have a very bright future. There is some slight concern about that, but also that they can be used for these incredible technology purposes. Yeah. In fact, we were inspired to do this episode by a Facebook message we received from a show listener named Taylor. Uh, Yeah. He sent us a note and explained that he is a technician who works with bees in his field. And I'm going to quote part of his message here because it was 
So exciting. Okay, here we go. Bees have an unimaginably keen sense of smell, so keen that they're able to detect compounds at levels our $500,000 machine can't even get close to. Our team has trained bees to sniff out chemical markers of plant and human pathogens in the lab, as well as invasive weeds and insects on the landscape. While listening to this podcast, because he, he was he was writing in about our podcast about a, having additional senses, in which I had mentioned being excited about bees, while listening to this podcast, I was conditioning a group of bees to detect and respond to the trail pheromone of Argentine ants so they can be used to locate their nests. We work with a team based in Montana called Bee Alert Technologies. There's a company in Mont- Montana called Bee Alert Technologies, y'all, who have famously trained bees to sniff out landmines by training them on the scent of TNT, much like they do with dogs currently, only bees' sense of smell is better and they don't trigger the landmines when they stand on them. In Sentinel uh, are another bee training company who are based in the UK and I believe are working on border security applications for bee-based <laughs> biosensors. He also linked us to this hilarious promotional video for the In Sentinel bee sniffer. Yeah, um, it, it's it's basically a bee dust buster, um, a du- like like this thing that is filled with bees, and we'll talk about it more at the end of the podcast. The company might not exist anymore. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Uh, w- one little note, the uh, GCMS machine, oh, uh-huh. the machine that Taylor that- mentioned, that's a gas chromatography mass spectrometry machine, which is a type of machine that's used to sort of like take a sample and figure out what are all the different chemicals inside it. Uh, sure. It usually gasifies or basically burns a sample in order to pick out what's in it. Right. And so what Taylor was saying is that the bees can sense chemical compounds better than this this really expensive machine. Right. So let's talk a little bit more about why bees are really cool in terms of both their amazing anatomy and also their their place in this proverbial circle of life on planet Earth. You know, I saw a movie called The Happening (laughs) (laughs) that was somewhat interesting. I I Uh, have not seen that film, actually. Well, I won't spoil it for anyone, but there's a certain kingdom of life, not going to say which one, but it's not animals, that try to kill everybody. But there's a quote at the beginning of the movie where saying something like that if the if the bee were to disappear, humanity would be extinct within some short period of time, like a couple years. Uh, that's perhaps overstated, but not entirely completely off base. All right, because about a third of the world's food supply is is created when honeybees pollinate those crops. Um, some crops, in fact, depend entirely on bees for pollination. Almonds are the prime example here in the United States. Without bees, we wouldn't have California almonds. No. I, I know, right? Almonds are a huge part of my personal well-being. So, They're, they're very important. They are very important. Uh, but if you want to know a lot about bees, I recommend the article How Bees Work on HowStuffWorks.com. Um, a.k.a. our parent company, um, which was written by the esteemed Tracy V. Wilson, who currently podcasts on Stuff You Missed in History class, and who says, and I quote, bees are the greatest. Well, she's right. She is. Because she's always right. (laughs) Um, So cool things about bees, cool bee facts. They can remember patterns like colors that that signal food sources and recognize symmetry, a, a, a thing that is normally reserved for higher life forms than insects. In those little insect brains. Right. Um, they can navigate by the sun, whether it's cloudy or not, because they can detect polarized light, 
So even when the sun's not out, they know where it is. Um, they have an internal clock, and they communicate via dancing. Um, they, they've oh, got, yeah. I've heard of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they've got they've got the round dance, which is for nearby food, and basically just says like food, y'all go out and smell for it. Um, and then they've got the waggle dance for faraway food, in which they indicate the direction of the food that they have found in relation to the current and changing position of the sun. That's pretty cool. I can't do that. That that's cool for many reasons. Number one, that that's pretty advanced in terms of sensing where things are and being able to communicate that. Number two, that's very social. Right, right. Be- being able to remember that and wanting to go back to, to your hive and tell a whole bunch of other things about it so that they can go out and do that thing that's really good for everybody. Yeah, it, I think it's just amazing that we have like communities of bees that communicate with each other that well when when a bee is such a, you know, is an insect. Uh, right. There, there are, I found out during this research, some I mean, actually, a lot of bees, I think only 15% of the world's population of bees live in hives like this. The rest of them are rogue bees that might Whoa. that might hang out around a couple other bees for kind of like protection services and oh, stuff like that. Like but little they, yellow sharks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, furthermore, bees have, as Taylor said, an incredibly good sense of smell. Um, they, they can positively identify substances in the air at a few parts per trillion I don't think I can do that. Uh, we no humans cannot. You cannot do that, Joe. Neither can I. Um, and and bees. An, another thing that probably you don't do. Bees make honey from flower nectar by swallowing and regurgitating it a whole bunch, um, thus sapping the water content from about seventy percent in the nectar to about twenty percent, which winds up in honey. Um, and also adding enzymes from their mouths that help kill germs, which helps give honey that terrific antibacterial property. So it is true that honey is bee vomit. Yep. That's delicious. It, it, it's the tastiest bee vomit. So, <laughs> so so these these are reasons why I am completely obsessed with bees. Well, I really like bees, too. But, Lauren, what is the outlook for bees? Are, are they going to remain happy and healthy and buzzing about on our planet as they do now? There's some concern about that. Um, there's this you, you guys might have heard in the news something called colony collapse disorder. Um, and worry about what this thing could mean for, for agriculture and for even the, the, the environment of the entire planet at large. Um, and okay, so, so here's the deal with colony collapse disorder. Since 2006, honey beekeepers have been reporting record numbers of bee losses every year, like 30 to 90% of their hives. Yikes. Though the average is on the lower end of that. Still, it's really significant. Um, according to the USDA, bee populations in the U.S. have declined from some 5 million hives in the 1940s to only about half of that today. And this isn't from poisoning from insecticides, for example, which produces really telltale signs, a.k.a. giant piles of dead bees <laughs> r- right around the hives, but but from this thing that we're calling colony collapse disorder or sometimes disappearing disease. And that's because the signs of this aren't dead bees, but rather missing bees um, and worker bees. Specifically, the queen and her male drones will still be occupying their hives and the honey will still be plentiful in those hives. But the workers just sort of leave or, or get lost during the winter season. Come spring, the colony dies. OK, so this is sort of like if you're out on the ocean and you find a, a- cruise ship floating there. It's not like you find it full of dead bodies and all their money missing. It's like the ship's just empty. It's like Roanoke. Yeah, yeah. It's just everything's gone and no one knows why. 
Wow. So spooky. Spooky, yeah. Um, and there are records of this going back through time with specific episodes having been recorded in uh, the 1880s, in 1903, in the 1920s, and in the 1960s. But it started becoming more widespread in the 1980s, which happens to be roundabout when a bunch of new pathogens and pests entered the United States. So do we have any idea what's causing it? Potential causes that have been looked at have included um, a whole bunch of different stuff, okay? Pesticides, parasitic intestinal mites, um, particularly cold winters, viruses, um, contaminated or, or scarce water supplies, pollen or nectar scarcity, um, or kind of bad pollen, like sort of nutritionally cheap pollen, the, the, the Twinkies of pollen. Okay. Um, and, and various stressors to, to the hive, like like overcrowding or being moved around too much. So the message I'm getting is that we really have no idea. Uh, yeah, no, no <laughs> one's been sure which of these or which combination is causing this particular phenomenon. Okay. Well, oh, yeah. So I'd imagine that all of these things might be partially true, but we don't know the main cause. Oh, sure. And, and you know, any one of these will certainly cause damage to a hive, but but why bees are just disappearing like this has generally been a mystery. So we still have no idea. Well, as as of May 9th, 2014, a report was published in the Bulletin of Insectology, which is a thing that exists, which is very exciting to me. Um, it It was published by a team of researchers from the Harvard School of Public Health. And they, they were talking about this research that they did in which they introduced non-lethal levels of particularly suspected insecticides to a few bee colonies and also studied some, some control colonies. Okay. So, so good research practices. Yeah. Right. And in one group, 50% of the insecticide exposed colonies were lost due to this colony collapse disorder. Oh. And in another study, 94% of the insecticide exposed colonies were lost. So I imagine that was a lot more than the control groups. Yeah, the control groups were not lost at all. Z- zero of them experienced oh. colony collapse disorder. Um, one of the control groups in, in that 50% study died due to a mite infestation. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, other than that, the, the pathogen and parasite levels across the study and control groups, which contradicts previous ideas that... Insecticides are responsible for um, for making bees more susceptible to to disease or to these stomach mites. Okay, so what on earth are these insecticides? They're from this one group of insecticides called neonicotinoids, which oh, yes are related yeah. to nicotine and um, and include a few very commonly used pesticides here in the U.S. At any rate, because they've been banned starting as of December of 2013 for a two-year research period in the European Union due to the suspicion that they're harming honeybees, which are important. Um, Also, this research that the kids at Harvard were doing indicates that colder winters might be part of it um, as keeping bees warm and uh, Neutratized, uh, full, f- full of full of good, happy, healthy fed. bee food. Fed, yes. <laughs> well, not just fed, but fed with the the right kinds of nutrients, has had good anecdotal results among beekeepers. There, there's apparently like a bee protein shake sort of thing. <laughs> it's called it's called Mega Bee. <laughs> It was it was developed it was developed by the USDA's Agricultural <laughs> Research Service. I know, right? I love Mega Bee bars. <laughs> Beef up your buzz. You need to be on the marketing team for this, Joe. Okay. Um, so, 
we're laughing a lot because bees are a little bit hilarious. Um, also, the word bee is really hilarious. You just append the word bee to basically anything like mega and it suddenly becomes really uh-huh. terrific. But this entire thing is very, very sad and very scary. And I mean, because I certainly don't want almonds to go away or any of the other important crops. I don't want bees to go anywhere, but if they do, do we have any kind of backup plan? That's what I wondered when uh, Lauren said we were going to do this episode. So I actually looked up artificial bees. (laughs) And what do you know? Bullseye. (laughs) Artificial bees. Yeah. So the March 2013 issue of Scientific American had an article by Robert Wood, uh, Radhika Nagpul, and Guyan Wei where these three scientists discuss their work in creating artificial bees. Now, the goal is to create a bee-sized flying robot that can be programmed to work together with thousands of others to form an artificial hive and autonomously pollinate crops. Their project is called RoboBees, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't know if they have to feed the RoboBees Mega Bee, but... Hopefully they just have to feed it oil can. Huh, yeah. Um I I mean I, I don't imagine that these robo bees also create honey. It's probably just the pollination service, right? I, I don't know. I mean the crazy things we're doing with robotics these days. I, I didn't <laughs> see any mentions of honey, but uh so instead of building thousands of little like quad rotor drones, they're actually trying to mimic the muscle movements of real insects. Huh. So these artificial bees will have airfoil wings that uh, flap based on actuators designed to work like muscles. And if you didn't see, because you don't have video of this, I was just flapping my arms. Obviously, the bees need some kind of guidance system and behavior control. So we're talking about environmental sensors and a navigation computer. And, of course, every robot needs a power source. All of this on a flying robot that's like the size of a coin. The size of a bee, yeah. That's a pretty ambitious project. Oh, sure. I'll be very interested to see where they go with it. So this is actually really cool for the fields of robotics and miniaturization. And it's even going to be really interesting for the things we learn from trying to perfect algorithms to mimic like the emergent behavior of a bee colony. Uh, right, because as you were saying earlier, it's a, it's a very social insect. Right. So I'm thinking we're probably going to learn a lot about bees just by trying to mimic bees. Uh, but also the, the project's Harvard website mentions that these could be used for search and rescue, oh. hazardous environment exploration, military surveillance, high resolution weather and climate mapping and traffic monitoring. <laughs> so oh. I don't know. Maybe they're just uh, overshooting, but that's what they claim. But no, hey. You know, I'd, I'd say that's really cool, but what we hope is that we don't have to use something like that for pollination. Uh, right, because hopefully these new findings out of the Harvard School of Public Health will, will lead to the discovery of, of the particular mechanism responsible for colony collapse. You're talking about the study from this year you mentioned earlier. Uh, correct, right, not the robo-abuse right. research. Well, I'm, I mean, either, either way, but... <laughs> At any rate, a lot more research is certainly going on. Um, there's there's a project for smart hives, okay? It's this open source beehive project. It was funded just this spring through Indiegogo, and, and it offered a few things to help small-time beekeepers uh, both succeed and, and connect with each other for larger research purposes. So first it offered hives, um, either either prefabricated flat pack hives on delivery or blueprints for hives that can be plugged into computer numerical control systems, which are um, automated machining tools that will create the pieces for you. Okay. So it's basically like Ikea beehives. (laughs) 
Right. Um, and, and then also, in addition to that, some some open source sensor kits to assess hive health and activity and also to connect up to a database to track larger trends throughout a population. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, there's also a group of researchers from Australia's Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization and They've been taking this a step further. They've, they've been gluing these tiny RFID sensors to bees. No, I assume you don't actually mean gluing. Oh, no, I totally mean gluing. You mean literally like, gluing. Like with glue. They're... Oh, yeah. They're really small sensors. They're like 2.5 millimeters square, which is about one-tenth of an inch. And they weigh only five milligrams, which is about 20% of a bee's total carrying capacity. So there's still plenty of room in there for pollen and whatever. It, it's like <laughs> having a tiny backpack, okay? And, and the... The idea here is that they'll be able to monitor and model bee behavior and and then watch for abnormalities and and identify causes and maybe even stop problems with a hive before they get so serious and cause a collapse. So how they do this? All right, the the RFID chips will transmit data to to a logger when they come in close to one and not like a guy who's cutting down trees, but but you know, a data logger, okay? Um and how, how how you glue a sensor to a bee. Well, I'd imagine first you stop feeding them Mega Bee. <laughs> <laughs> because, let's face it, somebody I'm, on Mega Bee, nobody's gluing that thing to me, brother. Oh, yeah. No, you don't want a hulked out bee when you're trying to glue something to right. it. Absolutely not. Um, well, okay. So so first you're going to put them to sleep temporarily by refrigerating them. You drop their their internal temperature down to like, like five degrees Celsius or 41 degrees Fahrenheit for about five minutes. And it just kind of takes a nap. And then, and then you shave the bees. <laughs> you have to shave them to <laughs> save them. <laughs> well, I, apparently, especially young bees are really quite hairy, which can cause a problem with the glue. Right. So <laughs> like if somebody was going to put duct tape on my face, I'd want him to shave my beard first. Absolutely. That's exactly it. OK, so so you you shave the bees and then you use tweezers to glue this tiny little sensor to its back. <laughs> I, it's it's serious, wonderful I research. I believe you. Uh, and they're and they're looking to improve upon the process that they already have. Okay, they're they're looking to miniaturize the sensors um, and also increase their their capacity so that they can track stuff like temperature and atmospheric compounds and even generate the energy that they need to operate and transmit this data long distances rather than just off a you know little kind of fist bump RFID thing um, from the energy of the beating wings of the insect. That's pretty cool. I got to say, gluing things to bees <laughs> to save the bees' lives by learning about bees, it's a good project. Now, I want to know something else, Lauren. Yes. Taylor mentioned in his message to us, the, the inspiration for this show, that bees could actually be used for a lot more than just making honey. So, so bees have this really strong sense of smell, right? And they can be trained to stick out their tongue or okay it's, it's technically their their nectar collecting tube aka <laughs> their proboscis um when they detect an odor that they've been trained to associate with a food reward and that odor can be any number of things like like drugs like methamphetamines or cocaine or chemical residue left by or used in bombs this is exactly well it's not exactly this is similar to the way that you would train dogs to sniff out these these common things except they're bees except they're bees Am, 
Is it harder to train bees than it is to train dogs? It's actually really easy to train bees. They are so excited about food that it's really quite easy to get them, and and they and they have such a good sense of smell that it's quite easy to. I mean, once you train them for one thing, I think I think it's hard to train them for something else. Yeah. So Taylor actually sent us a video. We mentioned it earlier in the episode, I think, of uh, this one particular company's. <laughs> Uh, promotional video on YouTube for how to use bees to sniff things. And they load bees into these cartridges, like ammo cartridges, uh-huh. like little cassette tape boxes, sort of. And they stuff them in a thing that looks like a dust buster. Gently. They gently stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't stuff. They place them in a thing. <laughs> these are trained bees that have been trained to, to like, the Pavlovian reaction, like, mmm, smelling cocaine means I'm about to get food. So they stick their tongues out hungrily when they smell cocaine. And then you can stick this dustbuster full of trained bees into a bag and say, like, does this have drugs, bombs, or aliens in it? Whatever it is you <laughs> train them to sniff. That That's what this video proposes. I thought it was really cool. It almost seems like a hoax. It's so weird. Yeah, well... But- I think it's real. No, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's real. Um, and, and the and the way that this kind of bee dustbuster works is is that you use digital imaging on the inside. Uh, you know you know you get like a little digital camera right up in all the bees' faces. Um, <laughs> and and then you use pattern pattern recognition software to tell when they're sticking their proboscises out. Okay, the bee cam. Bee cam. Proboscis cam. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, but and they're not the only people who have been working on this. They're, oh, okay. So even if that video is just too good to be true, there are other companies that are actually definitely doing this. Uh, yeah, like DARPA has funded projects into this kind of thing. They they funded a project that trained bees to swarm around bomb chemicals instead of flowers. Um, in small areas, you can just watch them and see where they go. But in large areas, they fitted the bees with wee little radio transmitters so that they could track it from a distance. That's that's some Metal Gear Solid stuff. And and right, I mean, you know, you know, bees have an equal sense of smell to dogs. Some some people claim that they're a little bit better. I have not read research confirming that specifically, so I'm not going to say one way or another. But you know, b- bees are maybe less good, say for airports. Um, I wouldn't want a swarm of bees in an airport personally. Why not? I just think dogs are a little bit more um, friendly in that kind of case. Actually, I do want a swarm of bees in an airport, but I don't think that everyone would. (laughs) I don't think that everyone shares my deep love of bees. But bees would definitely, for example, be better at finding landmines than dogs because it is very sad when a dog steps on a landmine. Nobody wants any of that. Right. Right. Um, And there's there's other research still being done. Um, Okay, so so a couple years ago, we found out that... There's a compound in the breath of lung cancer patients that dogs can identify. We don't know what that compound is. Science has not figured out that thing. But, oh, wow. But, but dogs can positively identify lung cancer patients once they have been trained on what that breath thing smells like. Bees can do the same thing. And a Portuguese designer by the name of Susana Soares during Dutch Design Week in 2013 introduced this this glass cancer breathalyzer. Um, it's got this breath tube that, that connects to a small inner chamber, which then opens out into a larger outer chamber filled with bees. So so you, you put these bees in the outer chamber and <laughs> they, they've been trained to detect whatever this chemical biomarker is. And so when they smell it, 
they swarm into that smaller chamber. So you can just watch them. And when they swarm, you're like, oh, I'm really sorry. I have a diagnosis for you, Um, which is bizarre. And okay, not on the market because it was a design concept rather than an actual medical device being created. But how cool is that? Well, I, I like the idea of biosensors in general, and it's cool that we can use bees in in just this way. I'd never even thought about bees as biosensors before this. I, we did a podcast one time, I think, about microbial biosensors. Right, right. But bees. Bees. Yeah. I mean bees. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, shockingly enough, that is all we have to say, though, about bees on this particular date. Uh, but we really want to give a shout out to our listener, Taylor, for yeah. inspiring this episode and for sending us a really interesting note. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, and we do we do have one more thing. Actually, this is really important to to our producer editor, Noel. Um, rather than doing a lyric at the top of the podcast, Noel really wanted us to say that Forward Thinking is the podcast that looks at the future and says, Oh no, not the bees, not the bees. So that would have happened, but we didn't want to scare you. First thing at the top there. So we decided to put it back here. I hope that we have not scared you too terribly now. That was Noel's lovely tribute to everybody's favorite bee torture scene from the 2006 remake of the film The Wicker Man, starring Nicolas Cage. What a what a wonderful thing. Well, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at fwthinking at discovery.com or you can visit our website, fwthinking.com, where we have links to our social media accounts, our uh, Facebook, Twitter, Google+. Our handle is fwthinking or some variation thereof. Uh, that That is what it is precisely. No variations involved. And uh, you can also on that website check out our podcasts and videos and blog posts and all that good stuff. Probably less about bees than we have talked about right now, but many other interesting topics. So thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council.